Hey everybody, Eric here with Smart Pot Fabric Planters, back with another episode of The Growing Revolution. And today our guest is Nate Lipton from Growers House. And they're originally based in Tucson, Arizona. They've got another location in Phoenix. Um, they also founded uh, Growers Network, which is a website that's dedicated to cannabis grower education um, and networking. And then also Canacribs, which is a really cool, uh, I guess, uh, YouTube uh, show. And it's kind of in the vein of the old Anthony Bourdain show, uh, Parts Unknown, except maybe replace food with cannabis and maybe add some more food back in. So we wanted to welcome Nate to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I was pretty uh, pretty stoked to join. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've been a big fan of yours with what you've done at Growers House and Growers Network and, and Canacrib. So honestly, I'm really excited to um, get to know you more and find out, you know, uh, kind of your, your background story and how everything came about because it's, uh, I'm sure a really cool story. So I'm just going to get into our line of questioning. Um, so you started Growers House uh, in Tucson back in 2011 with the help of your dad and some family friends. Can you describe the origins of how the store came about and maybe what you were doing before that? Were there any other stores in the area? What What made you decide to jump into the hydro scene? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've always been intrigued by the cannabis industry ever since I was like in my undergrad. And that's kind of where it started with uh, me being um, part of Students for Sensible Drug Policy at the University of Oregon. So that's like, you know, kind of just like a, a what would you call a casual extracurricular group that's on campus. And we would have like little events where we would try and push forward more sensible drug policies, whether those were related to you know, safety of people overdosing or just casual and recreational use of things like cannabis or maybe psilocybin or things of that sort, the safe use of them. And it just never stopped. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm in college. I'm going to go and do normal college things. Everyone's like, what professional career are you going to get into? And I was like, oh, maybe I'll do finance because I like numbers. I like math, you know, things of that sort. And you know, had an internship at a financial firm. Uh, Morgan Stanley didn't really like it. Uh, it wasn't for me. And I just kept going down the the path that was a little bit more of um, something that was on the passion side, I guess, of my free time. And I joined a dispensary in San Francisco. That was my first true job out of school. And uh, loved the industry from there. I saw that it had a lot of potential. And I'm like, cool, why don't I just keep doing this? And then uh, ended up working for a hydroponic store as well, um, was growing out there. And then eventually I was like, I got the bug where I was like, man, I just want to do more. I want more responsibility. I'm totally a tinkerer guy. Like I'm one of those guys, I guess you could say I have like too many ideas and not enough time. And, you know, it sounds cool and everything, but it's like it's more of a curse than a blessing because what happens is you start a lot of ideas and then you don't finish them. And then you just have a wake of destruction behind you. So in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, you know, learning to cope with that and try to be slow down a little bit, be a little bit more thorough, responsible. Uh, but I'm getting a little off track here, but I, you know, I wanted more responsibility and I was like, you know what, I want to open my own hydroponic store so that I could basically help people grow. And uh, opening a dispensary was also very interesting to me, but 
it's a lot more involved to open a dispensary, especially back in like 2010, 2011. Oof, that was a lot tougher. A lot like riskier. Yeah, a lot riskier. So today I'm, I was just like, okay, let's let's start a, a store. I can still interact with, you know, the plant, with the industry, but maybe uh, not have some of the same shackles and balls and chains and things. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. And then the rest was history from there. It's just, you know, like I said, that tinkering mind of trying new ideas. We started as a small retail store in Tucson. You asked how many stores there were. I think there were like four stores at the time. And we had to locate like in the south side of Tucson by the airport where like no one lives. That's where we had to open because there are distributors and they have, you know, kind of geographic areas. And if like one store is here, then, you know, those distributors back in the day, it was Hydro Farm and Sunlight Supply. They didn't want another store opening like, you know, within a three mile radius or five mile radius. Right. So you don't have two people competing right next to each other. So they're like, oh, yeah, the south side of Tucson where no one lives and there are no stores, you can locate a store down there because you're not near anyone. Actually, you're not near anything, which yeah. is perfect. Yeah. So that's where we opened our store and you know i'm a child of the internet so i was like yeah we should have an online store too and we did that and then next thing you know uh turns out there's a lot more people that shop online than south tucson so the online store ended up blowing up um quite a bit more but yeah we have still have a store in tucson to this day opened one in phoenix last summer of 2021 and that one's already doing as much business as the one in tucson that's a decade old so um i can attribute that to just more people being in phoenix you know um but yeah, we love the Arizona market. I mean, Arizona is like our home state and we want to be, um, you know, basically the number one company helping people grow the best cannabis they can or hemp, you know, or even other plants. But I would say the majority of our customers are growing cannabis. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, you know, cannabis is really on the cutting edge of growing in general. So I, I think a lot of high end you know, tomato and pepper growers kind of look to the cannabis industry for new products, new techniques um, and stuff like that. So you guys have been blazing the trail and especially with like making uh, videos on YouTube, you guys, I, I went into YouTube and um, you guys have been doing it for over 10 years, uh, making videos. Um, you know, would it be safe to say that your videos have drawn in a lot of customers for you guys over the years? Yeah, they definitely have. They've drawn um, in a lot of customers who really have um, seen the video content and they reach out and they're like, wow, you know, like, you know, the can of cribs for those people are familiar or not familiar, I guess. Just a quick debrief. It's like we try and visit the best cannabis cultivators in the country and we have them walk us through their facility and their process and methodologies of growing. So the cool thing is, uh, if you're a grower, there's a lot to learn from watching those episodes because you can say, oh man, they're doing this this way. Maybe I should try that out. Or I never thought about doing it that way. And what we've found is actually there's a lot of commercial cannabis facilities now who are using Canicruz videos as kind of training for their new employees. They actually, they have an onboarding process and they're like, okay, you're going to watch these three Canicruz videos because it helps you get um a little bit more well acquainted with some of the best practices and more well acquainted with certain terminology and uh, also just with um, some of the products that are in usage out there so uh, not only that you know we've been doing canna videos for about four or five years 
that series specifically. And what they do sometimes is they'll, when a new video launches, a, new, a team will watch it from, let's say, you know, uh, a dispensary who grows. Because the Canicruz videos we're putting out like today, the products they're using, the methodologies have changed from they were a year or two ago. Because the cannabis industry is just like evolving so quickly. People are innovating so fast that there's new products coming out, new standards that are coming out. So it's like, you know, it, it's it's not like making Italian food where it's like, man, there's a legacy of making Italian food. Don't mess with history, you know. Yeah, people do some fusion things, but like they've perfected that long ago. Don't screw yeah. it up too bad. With cannabis growing, we're like, dude, we're still looking like we're, we're trying to optimize the pizza dough still, you know, like we haven't reached the pinnacle yet. Uh, but we're on our I way. I don't think cannabis growers will ever stop uh, <laughs> yeah. reaching for, you know, more yeah. potency, more yield. I, I think until we can grow a plant that's like one solid crystal of THC, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Uh, I don't think growers will ever be satisfied. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. You know, we should always be striving to do better, you know, get more. Um, that's the American way, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it totally is. And that's funny. You say like one giant THC crystal and then someone will be like, oh man, you know, it's, it's not enough purple in it. <laughs> it's too crystally, <laughs> you know? So, uh, exactly. But, exactly. you know, the, the cool thing is, um, it's kind of morphed that whole kind of can of cribs, uh, you know, what started as just like a little bit of an entertaining, what we call edutainment because it's like educational and entertainment. It morphed into, you know, us being able to tour these facilities, learn a lot from them. Because when we go out and film, we spend two days, like 12 hours a day, you know, and hanging out with their growers, them showing us things. You get a 30 minute clip, but I get 24 yeah. hours of FaceTime, you know, and yeah. so does our team. So it morphed into us actually just like two months ago launching Canicribs Horticulture Division because we had so many people reaching out to us on the growers house side which we're mainly an equipment supplier and we help people, you know, get the right equipment, compatible equipment for growing operations so that um, they can basically have everything they need at the right price, you know, your equipment, normal things like that. But they were like, well, can you fly out here? Like we saw this episode. Can you, Nate, can you spend a week out here? Like we'll pay you for consulting. We were like, man, we like don't, we can like telephonically consult you, but like they wanted much more handholding, uh, much more design, things like that. So that's why we we were like, okay, we have so many people asking for this knowledge. Why don't we just make a division for it and then, you know, put that out there. So we did launch Canicribs Horticulture Consulting Division. And it's a six-person team. I'm a part of it. But we, I mean, we have two other PhDs on it. One of them is the first PhD in cannabis in North America, Darren. Uh, he got in Canada. Obviously, you can only get it in Canada right now. Um, but these guys are super smart. I mean, they built out like the Aurora facility, like multi, you know, facilities for multi-billion dollar cannabis companies. These guys really know their stuff. So they're the people that I lean on, honestly, because like people think like, oh, Nate, are you like, you know, the most sophisticated grower? You come in and tell me everything you need to do. No, I'm not like, yeah, I've learned a lot, but like there's too much knowledge almost for any one person to just be the end all be all of how to grow the perfect cannabis. So yeah. We have a team and it covers nutrients, you know, design for HVAC, covers irrigation, fertigation, um, even just like SOPs. We have a lot of people in New Mexico, you know, New Mexico just went wreck. So 
there's a lot of new growers there and they signed up for it. And with some of them, we're doing like full on pre-licensing design, you know, um, even training and hiring their employees to set them up so that they can get running and giving them all the SOPs and plans so that they can go off. And it's from all the learnings that we've had of visiting all the, you know, 40 plus some of the best facilities we've seen all over the country. So that's like a cool thing that came out of Canna Cribs that we didn't plan when we first launched it. It's just like the natural evolution. And plus when we started, we started talking about like, oh man, what cool ideas can we have that, you know, hopefully we can get some of them where the rubber meets the road, but a lot of them are just, you know, like we said, they're just uh, trash in the wake because we couldn't follow through on it. But the Canna Cribs one, that one, there was a lot of demand for it. So we had to come out with it, you know. Well, you know, uh, when the customer is offering to pay you money to do something, you know, it's hard to say no. So it's like, okay, yeah. you know, you're busy doing this, but all right, I guess I'll peel off some time and, you know, bring in some more experts. And I always mm -hmm. say it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And if you surround yourself with the best people who, you know, specialize in, you know, one area or another, um, it just makes you look smart. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, no, it's, um, nice job. Our team is amazing. Like we, I ended up spending a year actually trying to find and recruit the best team. And it took about a year. And I work with a lot of consultants and a lot of people. And these guys are the best people growing cannabis that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So I love yeah, them. Yeah, I'm sure. How how did uh, how did Canna Cribs come about? Like, was that your idea or someone else's to you know start making these shows? Yeah. So um, so Nick Morin runs that division, the Growers Network Canna Cribs division. Uh, I've been creating YouTube videos on the Growers House side for man, yeah, since like 2011, 2012. It's almost ten and, years. I, I checked yeah. on YouTube. It's crazy. And those were so kitschy, those videos, you know, like little tiny $200 camera, like, you know what they call for some of you people who are like, know the internet potato vision. It's like the resolution is so bad. <laughs> um, but, you know, some of those videos still got tons of views just because the production quality was really low, but I think some of the content was very useful for some people out there. So it was shared a lot. And you know, Nick and I um, were also part of this thing called the Pirate Mansion, which was like a collaborative living space. Instead of collaborative working space, like a WeWork, imagine a WeWork where it's like a house and then it's like a whole bunch of kind of, you know, I would just, we called them like, whether it's an entrepreneur or uh, an artist or someone who's just like a doer, a creative, right? And you, when you surround yourself with those kind of people, um, it ends up rubbing off on you, I think, in positive ways. It's kind of like the adage, you know, you are kind of the sum of the five people you surround yourself with most often. Um, yeah. Whether that's true or not, I do think like surrounding yourself with people that are kind of innovative and inspiring makes you more innovative and inspiring. So Nick okay. and I met through that living there together. And then uh, he was working for like a, um, a drone company, like a startup. And um, eventually he came over and we would be spitballing like, you know, all the time on random ideas to try out. And um, the first episode was Glasshouse Farms with Graham Farrar yeah. out in Cooper, uh, Carpinteria, I mean, almost like Cupertino and uh, Carpinteria. And we hit him up and we were just like, hey, you know, like what if we uh, Nick had a whole bunch of people that he worked with at the University of Arizona because he ran a hackathon and they were like 
videographers and stuff like that and he hit them up and was like hey what if we like go out here and film something that's like like a how it's made episode or something like that but for a cannabis farm we're like yeah let's go do it graham you down he's like yeah sure fly on out here we'll figure it out and we went out there and just kind of stumbled through it i don't even know what our goal was really thinking back on it we were like oh we'll have sponsors and they'll help pay for production and like i think one sponsor came in on that episode and we ended up like losing tons of money (laughs) to pay for the production costs but it ended up having a really good reception and then the next episode tons of sponsors jumped in and we were like cool this could be like a thing you know so then we just kind of kept doing it and you know a lot of the people we know a lot of the biggest growers out in the country and in the world we're like we're working on grows in like Portugal and Thailand right now, um, which wow. is really cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that Canada Cribs does go outside of the U.S. here pretty soon. But I will We're say, the cost, yeah, the cost of production is way higher when you go outside of the U.S. Like taking a flight to L.A. is not too bad from Tucson, but like taking one to Thailand with like a 10 person crew, the cost of production like doubles. So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot more and it takes a lot more time. And, you know, that's something I have little love, but that's kind of how it started and that's that's uh where it's kind of gone from here and we'll see what comes up next we have some other video series that are in the works that um like an R&D series where we're actually it's called Canicurs research and development a few small grows that we're managing where we're going to be testing products side by side and in the first one we're actually testing um basically a side by side and it's going to be Athena nutrients you know um in both and then we're adding one additive over here on this side and then once the grow is done we're going to be looking at you know dry weight wet weight cannabinoid profiles terpene profiles doing a full panel of i think analytical testing on it and then publishing that info and you know we're going to be open to other people submitting interesting tests they want to see us do and we're going to be trying different things out because with commercial growing operations one thing you'll notice is most of them have their own like sophisticated ones have their own R&D space. And that R&D space is is really important to them because that's like IP, intellectual property. Once they find something in that R&D that works, they apply it to their grow and they don't make it public. They keep it to themselves because it's part of their um, strategic advantage, them doing that R&D to make their grow more effective and efficient. So... That's look, if I was running a grow, I'd be doing the exact same thing. But I think there's an opportunity, there's a little bit of white space for us to be doing something like that, but making the information more publicly available. And by doing that, I think we're going to be helping a lot of growers out there and kind of furthering the progression and innovation in the industry on a much larger scale where, you know, they say like a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's what our mission is, you know, in a way it's like, how do we make people better growers, you know? So that's why that new series is coming out and it aligns with our mission overall. That's really cool. Uh, that that kind of reminds me of a story uh, one of my mentors, uh, Harley Smith, told me about where well, this was back in the 90s. He was talking with some Dutch researchers who had basically eliminated powdery mildew and blossom end rot on commercially grown tomatoes. And, you know, he was just hammering at him to figure out, you know, how, what did you do? What, what's the key ingredient? And after years and years of chipping away at him, the uh, secret was adding amino acids to calcium. 
And it just seems like such a, you know, simple thing now. Like we know aminos and calcium go together like PB and J, but 20 years ago, that was kind of cutting edge technology. So that's really awesome that you guys are kind of taking the initiative and not keeping the genie in the bottle. Like, you know, once you discover that genie, like letting them run and uh, do his thing in the industry. So kudos to you for for being altruistic uh, with that knowledge. Cool. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, for us, it's, you know, I guess I wish we just had more bandwidth to have more tests that we could run at once. But it's like, man, you know, plant... We got to start it off. I mean, even if we have things like, you know, on standby and veg, it's still going to take eight weeks minimum, you know, per test. So it's like, I wish I had a bigger space to do it in, but we only have about a 20 by 20 room we can work with. So, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, exactly. When you're doing R&D, you need a certain amount of, you know, plants to have like a, you know, a accurate, I guess, assessment of what's really going on. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know being, money and space and it time. Does. yeah being like I think what you're saying is like being statistically significant so that you can actually like say oh yeah this is evidence-based data that I can act on it's tough it's not easy with plants plants are organic you know sometimes things go wrong sometimes you're running a test and then like in week six something happens with the irrigation all the plants die you're like oh well there goes six weeks start from scratch um but yeah, it's tough. And like, honestly, there's going to be a lot of tests we run where like we're doing a side by side. And do we have a statistically significant number of plants? No. And I'm going to tell someone straight up, should they run a university, you know, like peer reviewed test on it? No. But is it hopefully at least giving us an indication of what's going on? I think so. And right. I hope that that's useful. You right. Know. You got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, so you had mentioned that, um, you know, it takes kind of a small army to do your can of cribs uh, episodes. How many people does it take, you know, and what are they doing uh, to produce and, and film all this? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a full production team. And I didn't even know what a full production team was until we started doing this. And we... Uh, learned along the way like our team now and the roles we have for the can of cribs crew is much different than it was in like episode one and two but i mean it's it's big i mean if you think about it it's like we have me hosting it we have a director you know we have two cam two cameras camera a camera b we have a few b-roll shooters or two other camera people running around the facility kind of independently just getting cool shots you know we have a production assistant assistant director a director of information technology, you know, there's, there's more roles in there, even a you know, sound guy, you know, all this stuff. And you're just like, wow, dude, when you want to make like a really good production, it takes a lot of people and like a lot more money than you expect it to. So I know people sometimes on YouTube, they're like, Hey, you haven't launched an episode in like two months. I'm like, man, it takes us six months to plan some of these episodes and get like everyone organized the farm ready us to fly out there for two days takes 30 to 45 days to edit dude it's like it's literally a full division full-time business we have like five full-time people and then that are just working on the back end office stuff and then we have like a 10-person camera crew like on top of that and that's what it takes to produce can of cribs and put episodes out and we're trying to put out like 
you know, I think this year it's between 12 and 18 full-length episodes um, a year. Wow. So it's a fair amount, yeah. Yeah, I mean, your guys' production value is super high. I would dare to say it is Hollywood quality. And people don't really know how much manpower and, and time goes into producing something that's a Hollywood quality uh, production. Just mm-hmm. look at, you know, the, I guess the credits on a movie, you know, the, the actors list is like oh, this yeah. long, but then like the, you know, everyone else on the list is like a mile long. So it, yeah. and then from working in, in Hollywood uh, in a previous life, it's amazing. It's like an army you know, basically Mm -hmm. you got a general and then, you know, you branch down to the underlings. So um, I can only imagine all the work that goes into producing these shows because they're very well done. Um, What's been, what's been your favorite episode to film and why? Man, that's tough. It's like saying what's your, you know, who's your favorite child or something. It's like, you know, it's putting you on the spot. Yeah, that's totally fine, though. Um, I think uh, my answer is probably, like, I've had certain experiences at Grows where, like, they just, I walk in and they show me something I've never seen before. And, like, when that happens, I think that's that's where uh, I get pretty excited. And I also get really excited when I go to a growing operation and you can tell the people there are, like, super into what they're doing. Like, and usually that manifests in ways where they're like, they're usually like, okay, man, like I, you know, I, I might, you're, you're really lucky I let you in. Cause I don't let anyone see this. And then they, you know, so at least they're a little reserved and then they get in and start talking about it. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, I could be taking notes and they could be writing like the, uh, the one-on-one manual for, for, <laughs> for uh, their growing operation. Like it's, they just get so detailed and you can tell they're so passionate about it. So those ones are probably the funnest. Um, and I've had that happen in, I guess the majority of the episodes, but um, you know, the most recent one that we filmed was the Jungle Boys. That was a great episode, you know. That was a cool episode. Yeah, Ivan and Roach, they were totally awesome guys. Um, You know, people talk about the Jungle Boys, like, who do you know, who exactly is Ivan? Who exactly is Roach? What are they like? It's cool that we were able to, like, put um, them in front of the camera for a long period of time for them to tell their story. So that was awesome. We just finished Steezy. sell like 20 or 25 percent of all the vapes in california and they have like 20 stores like 20 dispensaries and i think they're opening another 20 in 2022 like wow. they're just growing at this insane rate and their team was awesome like we filmed 40 episodes so sometimes when i go through the catalog in my mind i'm like you know you like let's say you have a little contact card thing i almost like pull one up and i look at it and i'd be like Oh yeah, Matt, you know, Pincana. Oh man, I remember all this cool stuff we did together. 
but it's like I've had so many experiences it's hard to catalog them all in my mind and pull one out and be like oh yeah this happened I mean I will say Darren McCarty we, when we were in Michigan this is just a funny story I guess you could say um and this guy you know this is something he was very open about but he um was a NHL hockey player for the Red Wings won Stanley Cups had a really hard time post NHL and fell into like alcoholism and rehab and drugs and used cannabis to get out of it. And I think, you know, he said that he really in that process of being, uh, you know, an alcoholic and into drugs, it really messed with his, with his biology and cannabis really helped him level out. And, you know, we, we met up with him at like 10 AM and I was like, so cool that we get to like meet up with Darren McCarty. And he was, he was doing a collaboration with Pincana at the time um, in Michigan. And he came in just like 10 a.m., one of the biggest personalities I've ever met. You know, just walks in the door. He's like, boom. And he tells me, he's like, man, I'm on like 600 milligrams of edibles right now. I was like, dude, it's like 10 a.m. And you are like tons of energy. If I had 600 milligrams of edibles, I will tell you, I'd be drooling on the floor. Like this uh-huh. guy was an absolute champ. And then I sat down and chatted with him. And I swear, in like one hour, I think I got like four words in. And he didn't stop talking for like an hour. But I loved it. Like he was such a, he was such an awesome dude to hang out with. And, you know, even at the end of that, he's like 600 milligrams deep at 10 a.m. Also smoking on joints and shit. And I was like, dude, this guy is a powerhouse. So like sometimes I meet people like that. And it's just like, you don't know these people are out there, but they are. So I've met a cast of characters that have made this uh, kind of job quite fun and entertaining. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say um, just from a personal standpoint, like your, your job with can of cribs is like my dream job in, in a sense, like just seeing all these cool grow facilities, the best grow facilities, meeting all the best growers and, and hearing all of their cool stories. Like, we're just trying to kind of replicate a slice of that with the growing revolution. So I, mm-hmm. we're just huge fans of can of cribs and yeah, I'm just so jealous. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I wish I could do it more often too. I think a lot of people think it's my full-time job, but I think I, you know, 5% of my time is on can of cribs. The other 95% is really on the back end business part, grower's house, um, helping consult and build out growing operations, things like that. Well, you, you get to do the most fun part of can of cribs, which is going to the locations yeah. and, you know, doing the tours and the yeah. interviews and everybody else is doing the grunt work. So you, you got yeah. the best gig. Well, um, our, yeah, our team has a good time. I will tell you that. Like our oh, team is sure. a whole bunch of like young guys around my age and, you know, plus or minus a little bit, but they're, we jive really well. And they're, that team is like, uh, I don't think anyone could recreate our team out there. I think we created something very special. And like, these are a lot of our people on our team are growers as well, or have grown in the past. So it's like, they're not going in, like a lot of, you know, farms have said that they've had like CNN in or, you know, local news and they come in and they're like, oh, so this is a marijuana plant. Yeah, so, and, so what's that? Is that a yeah. cannabis plant? And they're like, it's just night and day difference between like them coming in and us coming in. Because we like, okay, cool. Let's booty up. You know, let's make sure we don't touch anything. Let's make sure we isopropyl stuff. We don't want to be bringing any contamination. 
by the way, let's check out these different environments, camera shots. They're like, okay, let's do multi-rack tiering. Let's get up on the second story, fell down. Like, you know, they know what they're doing. They're smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a tough question. Out of all the places that you've been, uh, who has the best flowers that you've gotten to sample? Or, oh, you know, man. I, I mean, that's such yeah, a tough question because I'm sure yeah. everything is, you know, A, A-plus quality. So yeah. it's like picking your favorite kid again. I know. And I think it's I'm, – I'm a very strong proponent of the, like – there is no best cannabis. It's like there's only the best cannabis for you. A hundred percent. So like the best cannabis for me is probably different than the best cannabis for Eric, right? Uh, we probably wouldn't agree. Maybe there are some things we would agree on, um, and there would be some like correlation, but I don't think it'd be the same. But um, you know, it's so funny. Like I'm uh, a lot of the strains that I've liked lately have also been. Some of them hit too hard, to be honest, um, a little bit too much. And I definitely like smoking at nighttime. That's like my decompress from the day, help go to sleep, those kind of things. So I think some of the strains that I like might, um, you should think about them through that lens. But um, let's see. I had a strain that I really like called Dreamwalker, which is Blue Dream and Skywalker OG cross and i will say that was one of the most pleasant strains that i've ever smoked and i would love to get my hands on that again uh, and that just worked with my biology man i was like yeah i don't even know what it felt like but it felt like i just took like a happy pill or something or happy smoke or something but i felt so relaxed and content i felt like i just like finished meditating and i just like came out of it and like that's how i felt and i was like this is quite an amazing strain do you I will not remember say what do you remember what cultivator that was from? Oh yeah, no, so I won't say where that came from because I want to oh, be right fair. On. But I will say the strain. Yeah. But that's that's, nice. that's one to keep your eyes out for. If I could get my hands on it again, I would. I haven't searched too <laughs> hard though. I probably could if I looked really hard. Right, right, right. Um, so you know, you've been in the industry for over a decade and toured the best places around. Mm -hmm. What would you say your impression is of the cannabis industry as it is right now? Yeah, my impression of the cannabis industry as it is right now. Um, I would say this, you know, this has been a topic of conversation, I would say, for industry people lately. And it's what's going on with federal legalization? And if federal does go through, you know, what does that mean for the, the way the cannabis industry operates? And I think that's very topical at the moment. I'm not sure if federal legalization is on the horizon for the next 12 or 24 months. I think there's a lot of these little bills that come up that get people excited. But what a lot of people don't know is it's just basically political like jousting and like no one just ever drink. expects them. Yeah, no one ever expects them to go through. But, you know, it's just part of the political machine. But one thing I would be scared of, I think, is... And people are like, okay, this is a bit good way to put it. Right now, all states basically regulate cannabis as illegal, medical, or recreational. And they're little economies in, in themselves. And what I mean by that is like they have their own cannabis commission or health department that regulates the cannabis industry within that state. And cannabis is not allowed to be imported or exported 
from that state to another state or vice versa. And with federal legalization, a lot of people are asking like, well, what's going to happen with that? You know, is it going to open the floodgates and then just like cannabis can be moved everywhere? Like right. you personally, if you buy cannabis in Arizona and bring it to California, like not a big deal, I think. I mean, I'm not, don't know if that's legal or illegal, so I'm not condoning illegal activities. I'll just say that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess imagine if it went fairly legal and you could move truckloads of cannabis legally from like Arizona to California or vice versa, what would happen to the industry? And one of the things that I'm personally a little scared about is if that happens and then there just become like five large growing operations in the country that take over and put everyone out of business and all the cannabis is grown in like Kentucky, you know, it's the least expensive place to grow it. And then it's exported all over the country. And next thing you know, we're going from having like 2000 different strains in each, you know, from all these small proprietors in a state to like having five strains. And it's like, you know, you have your Marlboros or your camels and your, right. you know, your Newports or whatever the hell. And it's like, you're going to lose the diversity and the price will go down, which I think is you know, better for the end user. But I think you're going to give up a lot more than that. You're going to give up um, a lot of small growers who are trying unique things out. You're going to get more mono crops out there. And that's what I would be scared of. So like, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with federal legalization, but that would be something that I would not want to happen. I'd still want states to kind of regulate it the way they're doing now. Um, within the state, if there certain things are not going well, you know, hopefully the people in the state can kind of make adjustments to kind of rectify those issues on a state by state level. But yeah, man, I mean, get it, you know, putting all the small and like passionate girls out of business would be, uh, bring a tear to my eye if that happened. So I think people should just pay attention to the laws, how they're built and try not to go forward in that way. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with your take. And uh, as someone who lived in California from like 2007 till a couple months ago, I saw, you know, the medical and then uh, move into recreational. And honestly, when recreational hit, I, I read the law ahead of time. I didn't think it was overall a good law and I voted against it. And I have advocated everyone that I knew to vote against it because it wasn't the right law. And mm -hmm. it's played out that way. California's cannabis industry is kind of in disarray yeah. uh, right now. And honestly, if the federal government gets involved and starts doing their thing, I don't see really many positives coming out of it other than, you know, hopefully people not going to jail for it, which, mm -hmm. I mean, that could be done on a local level anyways. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm with you. I'm a little hesitant about federal legalization and what's all going to come out of it. But I, I kind of look at the alcohol industry and I feel like that's probably what's going to play out. There's going to be the Miller Coors, you know, and mm -hmm. then hopefully smaller, you know, more regional uh, players, uh, you know, micro breweries, micro grows. Uh, so yeah, hopefully the the craft cannabis doesn't totally go away once uh, once the feds jump into things. Yeah, we'll I see. think so. And I think like the ideal law for me on a federal from a federal standpoint is the federal government just says, look, it's federally legal. We're deeming that we're putting no resources 
into enforcing cannabis laws. We're allowing business to flow, you know, as normal in the cannabis industry. We're going to expunge all records for people that have cannabis violations. We're going to take it off schedule one so universities can do research. And other than that, we're leaving it up to the states to kind of regulate it in the way that they see fit since they have a decade head start on us, two decades almost. And uh, let's just leave it at that. Like if they just said that, I'd be like, cool, kosher, you know, everything is totally fine. And there's, there's, it's probably not going to happen in just one fell swoop where it's just like, boom, all that happens at once. You know, I think what we're going to see is that's going to happen in a piecemeal fashion. And like one law is going to go through and it'll be kind of, what do they call it? Um, in, in Congress when they like take one law and they stick it in with some others and then they push it through, you Mm. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 But, um, I think that's, what's going to happen. And I think, um, just pay attention to those and try and push them through like Congress. Like I think the most recent one is like the safe banking act, which is like, you know, making sure that banks can take cannabis money from like dispensaries and other ancillary businesses. And, you know, that's kind of like one of the next moves forward. I think that's actually on the floor right now. It'd be really cool if that did pass because what a lot of people don't know is like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cannabis businesses that are having a really hard time struggling or going out of business because uh, they basically cannot manage their cash. It's, you know, it's basically unsafe for them. They get robbed a lot. It's like, man, just make it so they can operate like a coffee shop, you know? That would be quite helpful. So that's what's on the floor now. I'd really hope that there'd be something on the expungement for for cannabis and taking off schedule one. I'd really like to see that hit the floor sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, we, we hopefully the feds move more in baby steps rather than uh, leaps and bounds with things and, and get it yeah. right as opposed to just trying to get everything, you know, uh, where they want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what... Uh, personally is on the horizon for like you and, and growers house growers network and, and can of cribs. What do you guys got uh, coming in the future? I know you said you're working on some R and D stuff, anything else that you guys got in the pipeline? Yeah. So I would say, uh, let me think really fast. Cause yeah, we always have too many plates spinning and then yeah. a few of them fall. So I would say the can of cribs horticulture consulting division that launched like two months ago. Um, the Candy Cribs Research and Development video series that should be launching, I think, in May. So you'll see some. And that's on a separate channel called Candy Cribs Homegrown. Uh, we might change the name of it. We'll see of that one. Um, I would also say, let's see, on the Grower's House side, you know, on that website, we're like building this like cannabis business portal for like commercial growers to interact with the site and order things online that way. Um, and then yeah, I think just a lot of traveling to these new states that are going, that are going either medical or recreational. I mean, some of the hotspots that are coming up are like New Mexico, New Jersey. Surprisingly, it's like I think it's Missouri or Mississippi who are like making some moves right now. Um, New York seems to be blowing up. Yeah, I mean, well, they're definitely talking a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, they've been talking a lot for a long time, but. Yeah. Um, We'll see. I think they're like starting to do designs. I haven't seen them like hit the ground running with like cultivating yet, but I think it's getting really close. Um, but I think those are kind of the things we have, those irons in the fire right now. But if we talk six months from now, there's probably going to be a couple more. So we'll see. No doubt. No doubt. The way you, the way you roll. 
Yeah, yeah, I probably got to slow down a little bit. It's a little exhausting. So. Well, you know, it's like it's like the spaghetti theory. You know, you throw some spaghetti against the wall, and whatever sticks is the good stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to uh, eat less uh, refined carbs. So. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all? Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, Nate, uh, that was basically all the questions that I had. And, you know, just as a, a smart pot rep, I wanted to thank you for, you know, um, being being a, a dealer of our mm -hmm. products. You know, I, I know a lot of smart pots get sold, you know, for indoor and outdoor cultivation through uh, Growers House. So uh, just want to thank you on, on that end. And and thank you for being a great advocate for our industry. Um, you know, we need I don't know. We, we need more people like you who are, you know, altruistic and, you know, professional and, and uh, you know, in the best interest of the plant. So just yeah. wanted to say it's been a real pleasure interviewing you and uh, getting to know you more. Cool. No, appreciate it, Eric. I mean, uh, I'm also um, I'm really excited about what you're doing here as well. And just for your, all you growers out there, buy smart pots because you help promote you know, content like this and help us keep pushing forward. So grow strongly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on uh, this episode of the growing revolution, Nate. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Later, Eric.